Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me now to the New Testament book of 1 John. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. Hear now the word of the living God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the living God, and we say... Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, O Lord, we pray that this verse of Holy Scripture would be a balm to our souls, a comfort for our eyes and ears to behold, and a strengthening force by your Spirit who does indeed, by his life-giving breath, give us life in Christ. That this verse would indeed be life-giving for us, even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have two goals this brief time in the sermon this evening. First, our goal is to understand, of course, what the Scripture is saying. But a secondary goal is that tonight, as we look really at one single verse of Scripture, that we might glean a little bit from how we walk through this, how it is that we can meditate on the very Word of God. This morning, if you recall, if you were here, we looked at one very long passage of Scripture. And oftentimes we do look at sections or paragraphs or several verses at a time. But this evening, I want us to really just consider one verse of Scripture, to meditate on it, to mine it, to consider all of its words, and by God's grace, to be encouraged in his glorious gospel. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to take a few minutes and just break this verse up into several parts and meditate on it together to hear the word of Christ speak from this passage. First John, boys and girls, was written by John, the apostle, the disciple, the follower of Jesus. Yes, he did indeed write a whole book about the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. But here, towards the end of his life, he's writing various letters. And in this book of 1 John, there are five chapters. We've walked through this book together before as a congregation in various ways. And we've seen several aspects of this book. One of the aspects of this book is the repeated repeated theme all throughout the chapters. That this is how you can know that you are in the faith. This is how you can know that you are a Christian. It occurs everywhere in these five chapters. But another theme, of course, as you will remember in the book of 1 John, is that true believers are known for their love for one another. That God has loved us, and we, in turn, by his Spirit's work in our heart, love others. John says in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and handled concerning the work of life, 
The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And then John continues in this way. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is dark, no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The context then of this verse is the opening up of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which John and other disciples were firsthand witnesses of. And then moving out of that description... John says, if we say that we know Jesus, but we live in darkness, or if we say that we have no sin, we walk in darkness. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just encourage you with this verse. But prior to doing that, let me say this. This is a verse written for believers. We can use this verse evangelistically. We can look at the world around us and say, hey, if you say that you have no sin, then you're not walking in the truth. If you say you don't need Jesus's blood, his blood won't cover you. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and he will cleanse you. It is right to use this verse evangelistically, but you need to understand that John is writing to believers. The context of this entire passage, this whole book is, hey, believers, Here's what you need to know, and here's how you can know it. So this verse is for Christians. This isn't just a verse for the lost outside our walls. It's for Christians. If we continue to confess our sins, that would probably be a very literal rendering of the Greek underlying the text there. If we continue to confess our sins, he continues to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So believers... Let's mind this verse and perhaps consider how we may take other verses like it. Of course, in context, in our own daily lives, and mind them and meditate on them. If we confess our sins. The word confess could be translated if we state with agreement. If we agree with God that we're sinners. If we say yes, God's law and God's word is right to call me a sinner. It, of course, could mean if we go to God and say, God, you are right about me. What I have done is sinful and I bring it to you, agreeing with you that it's sin. If we confess, if we confess, you know, so often in our day, we don't deeply think about what it means to confess sin to God as his children. 
We may think deeply about what it means to to try to tell someone who's lost and needs Christ, hey, you need to confess your sins. You need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. But what does it look like for believers to regularly confess sin? Brothers and sisters from bygone eras, perhaps in some ways, were better than us at confessing sin. Even corporately confessing sin. Listen to this excerpt. This comes from the Book of Common Prayer from 1662. Listen to how they begin their morning prayers. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent. According to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ, Jesu, our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Every week, this kind of liturgical reading would be used among one particular strand of Christ's people. And did you catch what it said? Have mercy upon us, O Lord, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Believers saying to God, we have sinned again this week, Lord. We need your mercy. We confess that you are right to call the things which we have done sin. We agree now with your word and confess to you, Lord, we have done these things. Forgive us, we pray, if we confess. But what is it that we confess? Well, the word there is sins. If we confess our sins, how do we know what sin is? I would would say that most of us who grew up in the church probably memorized this verse earlier rather than later. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what are we confessing? What are we confessing? Well, we're confessing our sins. But the word of God tells us how we know what sin is. By the righteous law of God. Let me take you to just two examples. Turn over to the book of Romans briefly. Romans chapter 7. In verse 7, Paul there, if you recall from several years ago when we walked through this book, Paul is talking about the life of a Christian in Romans 7. And he says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? We've been freed from it. We're no longer under it as a covenant. Is it sin? Paul says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. 
For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. A couple of chapters prior to this in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, at the very end of saying that the righteousness that leads to salvation is through faith and not through the law, Paul says this, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We confess sin, but we must know what sin is. We must be people like the psalmist who say, I delight in the law of God. But brothers and sisters, sometimes it's possible to think that we need to confess things that we actually don't need to confess. Both internally or externally. Let me give you some examples. Perhaps if you're unaware of the law of God, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, which carry from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Yes, all ten, not nine, not eight and a half, all ten. The summary of what God would have us to do. If you're not familiar with those things, then other things fill the void. You might feel guilty for things that you don't actually need to feel guilty for. You might let other Christians tell you that there are things that you need to confess that aren't actually sins. And internally, you may begin to think that there is sin where there is not. Or, not knowing the law of God, you may not realize that you are in sin and you need to confess it. But, you know, in addition to the internal need to know what the law of God says about sin, there's the external or outwardly need to know it. For instance, the law actually is the greatest freedom against legalism and against your conscience, which is free in Christ from being weighed down by the commandments and teachings of men. One other example, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver... Who is able to save and to destroy? Who are you to judge another? Brothers and sisters, I don't have to convince you. We've just spent the last two and a half years as a broader Christian society judging each other for how we handle a virus. And many people were brought to the point where they thought they needed to confess things that they didn't actually need to confess. Because people were telling them there are laws which are not in the law. Which you must do. Or lest we get too prideful about how we were over the last two and a half years. Maybe we spent a lot of time judging people who did things that we didn't think were necessary. There's one lawgiver. And in order to know what sin is, sin that we ought to confess and to be sure of what God's right commandments for us now in Christ are, we need to know the law. If we confess our sins. Do you know how freeing it is, brothers and sisters, to understand how the moral law of God works through the pages of Scripture? 
you know how freeing it is not to feel like we have to come up with extra laws to figure out how to live in holiness? Do not taste, do not touch. How often many of us grew up in churches where because the law of God was no longer held to or or because there was kind of a lack of clarity on just what a Christian ought to do with the law of God, other rules came in. If we confess our law-breaking, our sins. But let's meditate further. What does the verse say next? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. So if we're regularly confessing our sins, that's our posture. That's what we're doing. What does God say in his word that he's doing? Well, he says two things about himself as we confess sins. That he is faithful and he is just. Faithful and just. First, faithful. What does it mean for God to be faithful? Boys and girls, if you hear that word faithful, what do you just think? You don't have to say it out loud. I know there's a lot of us in here tonight. <laughs> what does that word faithful mean? Well, it means that God is going to keep his word. God is going to do what he says that he will do. Now, there are a lot of passages we could turn to. Let me take you to just one for the sake of time. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. There, and we've heard this scripture passage several times over the last few months. There, God promises to be faithful in his covenant with his people in Christ. And what is he faithful to do for them? Hebrews 8, 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Think about this. John is saying by the Holy Spirit inspiring him as we continue to bring our sins to the Lord and confess them. God continues to be faithful. To be faithful, as we'll see in a moment, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. A confessing Christian never need wonder whether God will be faithful to forgive his or her sins. A confessing Christian who is honest in his or her soul, relying on Christ alone before the living God, never needs to wonder whether God is going to change his promise to be faithful. But then John says, God is not only going to be faithful, but he's going to be just. Now, again, the next clause is going to tell us what God is going to be faithful and just to do. Again, forgive our sins and cleanse us. But but why in Scripture is God pictured as both being faithful and just? Well, the word just there could be translated in several ways. Of course, just is a perfect way to translate it. But other meanings or renderings could be being in the right. God is in the right to forgive our sins. God is justified in doing something. He's not wrong to do it. Of course, who can forget that the Old Testament declares... That to just pass over sin, to just kind of act like it doesn't matter, is an abomination. Here, 
The word of God says that if we, as we continue to confess our sins, God is faithful. He will not change. And he is in the right to forgive us our sins. I know that it's, we don't often think about questioning, particularly in Reformed circles, whether God is right to do something. There are brothers and sisters around the world that do ask that question. Is it right for God to do that? But, but here in our little part of the Christian community, we don't regularly say, is God right to do something? At least not outwardly. But here John is just boldly saying, Christian, as you confess your sins, God is right. He is justified. He is the one that is absolutely in the right to forgive you. And this, of course, points us to our Savior, doesn't it? Look at verse 7. We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sins. We have the blood of Christ. So God is not wrong to say to a murderer who confesses his or her sin and boldly falls on Christ, God is not in the wrong for saying, you're clean. God is not wrong. He's not in the wrong. He's not in the position of being somehow unjust to say to the sexually immoral person who confesses their sin and falls on Christ alone. God is not wrong at all to say, you're clean, you're forgiven. God is not in the wrong to say to David, you will see heaven's shores. God is not wrong to say to doubting Abraham, you will see heaven's shores. God is not in the wrong for saying to Peter, you denied him three times. Then later in your life, it took another apostle to convince you that you were not living in accord with the gospel. Your fear of man was overwhelming in your life, Peter. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and he is in the right. He's justified to say to one like Peter and like you, you're clean. You're clean. Because Christ and his blood is the surety. You see, part of the transaction of the gospel that we need to meditate on regularly is not just the reality that God in his love sent his son to die for sinners. Although that will take an eternity to meditate upon. It's not just the entire system of how the Lord Christ brings in a covenant by which we are forgiven. One of the glories of the gospel is that God, the unchanging one, whose wrath is upon sinners, can be in the right to receive those same sinners in Christ. That's one of the glories of the gospel. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. But the third phrase helps us, doesn't it? Faithful and just to do what? Imagine if that verse ended with, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, dot, dot, dot. Just and faithful to do what? What will he do when I bring my sins to him? He's the living God. He only does the right thing. What will he do when I bring my sins to him? 
he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there again are two different phrases, aren't they? Forgive and cleanse. Forgive and cleanse. Brothers and sisters, you could spend an entire week just meditating on the words of this passage. Confess my sins. It's mine. What are my sins? Oh, the holy law of God reveals to me my sins. God in his mercy has declared that even though I'm a great sinner, as I confess to him, he is faithful. You could spend a whole day just thinking in and out of your work life, in and out of picking up the children from various places, You spend a whole day thinking about how God is so faithful and unchanging towards you to continue to forgive you. But here, we get more words to meditate upon. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You could see this last phrase as saying the same thing twice. Sometimes we do that for emphasis, don't we? But it seems as though there's A little bit of nuance going on here. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And there is a slight subtle difference between forgiveness and cleansing. They involve one another, but there's a little bit of a difference. Firstly, forgive. When we confess our sins as believers, resting on Christ alone, His blood has of course covered us as a father to a child, not as a judge to a criminal any longer. As a father to a child, he continues to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Forgiveness allows constant relationship with God. Forgiveness allows constant relationship with God. God no longer remembers those things and holds them against us. God no longer must deal with these things. But because of Christ, as we continue in our lifelong journey as his sons and daughters to confess our sins, he continues to forgive. And yes, the way that the first part of the verse could be translated is also the way the second part of the verse could be translated. If we continue to confess our sins ongoing, he is faithful and just to continue to forgive us our sins and to continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in addition to this forgiveness, there's also cleansing. Have we ever seen the word cleansing in the Bible before as it relates to sin? It's often a question that we should ask when we get to pages of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Have we seen this before? Well, yes, we have, haven't we? In the Old Testament, under the Mosaic economy, boys and girls, the system that Moses brought in that was temporary until Jesus could come. In the Mosaic economy, there was quite extensive display of clean and unclean. Remember when we walked through the book of Leviticus together several years ago? An extensive system of clean and unclean. What does it mean to be clean in the Old Testament? Well, clean in the Old Testament meant that you were allowed to have access to God and to his worship again, didn't it? If you were a leper, if there were periods in your life where there were certain times of the month or the week or you would come into contact with this thing or that thing, 
or you had eaten this particular kind of animal, there were regulations. There were cleansing rituals. There were oftentimes periods of days that you had to wait before you had access to God and to his worship again. You couldn't come into the temple after certain things. You couldn't enter into that system of worship again until right sacrifice was made. Until you were cleansed. And in some cases, until you had been to the priest who said over you, you are clean, you may go in. First John 1 John 1.9 is essentially the high priest, the living Christ, saying to you, you are clean. You can always go in. You're not separated from God. My blood has forever washed away your sins. You're clean. There's constant access to the throne of God. And that whole Old Testament system was not a system of salvation. No, boys and girls, did you know that people in the Old Testament were saved the same way we are? They were looking forward to Jesus coming. We look back at the fact that he did come. But they weren't saved by the blood of animals and by these rituals. Those rituals were given so that over the course of hundreds and even thousands of years, there could be this expectation There's always the need. Something has got to come. We keep having to go in year after year. When will we be clean? And then Jesus comes. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse. The confessing Christian never needs to fear that the dirt of his or her life is too grave for him or her to continue to have access to God. Yes, if you live in your sin and you do not confess it and you refuse to repent of it, you will ultimately show to the world that you never were in Christ. But a blood-bought believer never needs to fear when she or he confesses their sins that the dirt and stain will remain. The Puritan Matthew Poole commenting on this verse says this, quote, signifying his vouchsafing. We don't talk like that anymore. I kind of wish we did sometimes. Signify his vouchsafing that purifying influence of the Spirit of Christ obtained also by his blood which shall both purge away and prevent the defilements that would render us incapable of his own holy communion. End quote. The blood of Jesus prevents. It prevents, Poole says, the kind of defilement that would keep me from constant access to God. Brothers and sisters, we could spend years Just meditating on this one verse. And there are thousands of verses like them in the pages of Scripture. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. Can you imagine that godly, law-loving saint who had the hope of the promised Messiah on his mind for years, who was stricken by leprosy, and for weeks that turned into months and perhaps even years, was not able to have access to the community of faith because there was defilement. And the Mosaic Code said that he must be separated not only from the people, but from the place of God's worship and the place where he made his presence known. And there might have even have been times where that leper would have said to himself, it seems like things are getting better. The priest was called and the leprosy remained. Can you imagine, say, five or ten years in, when one time the priest was called to give the inspection as the law of God demanded and the words were rendered, you're clean. You're clean. You may come back. You can come in. That is you. Every single time. The voice of your Savior who bled for you says, You're clean. Yes, son of God. Yes, daughter of God. You've fallen. Yes, you've sinned. But the Spirit of God has given you repentance in your heart. You hate that sin. You want to hate it more than you do, but you hate it. And you've confessed it. And I, the great high priest, say that God is faithful and just to forgive you. And by my blood, you're clean. Praise be his glorious name. Let's pray. Almighty God. Help your people, help us all to be confessing Christians, to love your law and to know it in such a way that we might be able to apply it to our lives as a guide for how to live. And that when we see, as we will daily, areas where we fall short, falling on Christ alone, we can confess our sins to you again as a child to a father, for that's what you are. And once again, receive the promised Blessing of redemption. That you continue to forgive us. And to continue to ensure that we are clean. Help us, O Lord, to live in this reality, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.